The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Rebel Podcast, P Nate. Elder P, Apprentice Air Jordan in the building. I, should, I thought I should throw an apprentice just so that people know the hierarchy of like. <laughs> I'm a Padawan. It's we're, nice. we're important. Yeah. He's less so. I did, ask Jordan if, I, I did ask Jordan if he could grow out one of those Padawan braids down the side of his uh, his uh, hairline there, you know, like like Obi-Wan has in the uh, the first prequel. Once he's preached five times, then, he, then he's then allowed we cut to it grow off. a beard. <laughs> yes. no, I think then, then I get the tattoo on my hand. Is that yes. how that works? Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm, like, I'm still working on yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't even have the tattoo on his hand. So it was actually funny. I was talking to uh, I was talking to Caleb McKenna last night. Uh, he's a 17 year old uh, awesome uh, guy who comes to the church, and he's in our small group. So we were talking yesterday, just joking about church merch, and he was basically saying that first we need a church mascot. So I don't know if any of you have ever watched McGee and Me. Is that a thing? Like you guys understand yep. when I say McGee and Me? Okay, uh-huh. so McGee and Me is like uh, this 80s or 90s Christian show, and Nick was the like you know teenage boy maybe 12 in the first episodes uh, up to 16 or whatever. And he had this little sidekick who was a cartoon character that he drew that like came to life and that's McGee, right? So anyway, so he was like saying, okay, you know McGee and me, how he has that little like cartoon, like the church needs a mascot. And he's like, and I got the perfect mascot. And he's like, okay, picture this. And so then he just describes, he's like, okay, so he's obviously he's wearing chucks, right? He's wearing tight jeans. He's wearing red Buffalo plaid. And he's like, picture like a launch pad body where he's just like, like little legs, but he's like, obviously he does some bench pressing. So he's like bigger shoulders and chest. He's wearing this, uh, this red Buffalo plaid. He's got like a toque on obviously cause he's Canadian, a big lumberjack beard. And then he's got a tattoo of a maple leaf on his forearm. Cause he's obviously pretty Canadian. He's like, and then he goes and he's carrying a crock pot for the church potluck. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, that's the crossroads mascot. I'm like, that is a beautiful picture. So, so what, I, what I'm picturing here is Jan Mulder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jan Mulder in red plaid <laughs> with a yeah. toque on and a bigger beard. And carrying Amanda's uh, chili for the the church cookout. We, I, <laughs> but I just that picture of the guy with the crock pot there, like this big masculine like lumberjack style guy with the crock pot for the potluck. I'm like, that is a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's like kindergarten cop. You get the like the massive yeah, right, right, yeah, like right. doing the most mundane task yeah. of all time. Um, that's so good. I, I feel like, and this might sound a bit weird. I feel like we just have a ton of manly men at our church. Like Jan is like the guy who's like, oh, he looks like he could fight a bear. But yeah. I'm like, and I mean, when you 
describe him like that to people? Like, oh, if you met Jan Mulder and I started doing what you do, you're like, he's the he's the guy who looks like he could wrestle a bear. People are like, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah him. Yeah, and but it's not just one. There's a couple now. There's like he's the guy with the long ginger beard. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that ginger beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's just like there's so many people. Like it's just like oh man. Yeah, that, um, that's funny. So I thought that, that that's Buffalo a great mascot. Yeah, yeah, Red Buffalo Plaid's like the we always joke that's the Crossroads uniform. But yeah, so I thought that was uh, that was good. So who are we? Oh yeah, we're uh, we're the Rebels Rebel Podcast, uh, connected to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Um, we actually, at the time of this airing, are about a week away from uh, Gabe Wrench, part of the uh, Cross Politic crew, who'll be up in Canada at the uh, Church at War conference. And uh, I'd, I'd tell you all about that and try to promote that conference, but it's been sold out for a while now. Um, but you can go to antichristdocumentary.com. And uh, you can give to the project uh, and all that kind of stuff. But the documentary will be released at the Church at War conference. But you can check it out there. You can get the documentary once it uh, after that conference when it uh, airs. And you can probably, through that website, find where to get some of the conference sessions, which will be solid. So Gabe's coming up for it. And uh, there'll be a bunch of great uh, Tim Stevens, James Coates. So lots of cool stuff going on. Stevens got acquitted. Did you see this? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, about a week ago or something. Yeah. So all the charges were dropped, which is amazing. Yeah. It doesn't set precedent, unfortunately, for any of us in Ontario who still have charges pending. So my lawyer told me very quickly, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but very, very happy for Tim Stevens. And that means uh, good things for James Code out there as well, which is, uh, which is solid. So yeah. Dominoes are falling. Yeah, yeah, dominoes are falling for sure, and uh, and hopefully uh, in Ontario our uh, our leaders follow in that direction. It's it's hard to imagine because Ontario was really sort of the epicenter of the COVID craziness for Canada, but out west they weren't great. I mean, pastors got jailed out west; they didn't get jailed in Ontario, and uh, they kind of walked things back and started acquitting everybody who got charged on the uh, reopen acts and stuff like that. So that's great. Yeah, praise God. We have Jordan back in by way of reminder. If you haven't listened to our last episode, pause this right now. Go back, listen to our other episode. Uh, Jordan joined us for that uh, last week as well. Jordan is the pastoral intern at the church, and we got big plans for Jordan. God loves him, and Chris and I have a wonderful plan for his life. So <laughs> You sure do. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's here today um, because last week went so well. We enjoyed chatting about paradigm shifts in our Christian faith. And so we kind of set this up talking about how, you know, Calvinism and when we come into a reformed understanding of, of soteriology, it kind of changes how we see all of scripture. It changes how we see God, changes how we see ourselves. Last week, we talked about how coming into an optimistic eschatology changes everything about how you see the world and how you see your faith. Today, we want to talk about another one. And I, I mean, you could kind of check this off as sort of another reformed doctrine, but I don't think it's quite enough. So like I was going to say it's like complementarianism, but it's, it can't be that because I've been a complementarian for a long time, probably 15 years now. But complementarianism for a long time, at least when I came into it, really just meant we don't ordain women. We don't let women on the board and we don't let female missionary women preach from our pulpits. And that was really the extent of my complementarianism. I don't know much about you guys. And slowly, I think, as I came into a more robust understanding of the Reformed faith and started to see things, I would say complementarianism is not enough, right? To borrow a Doug Wilsonism when he says Reformed isn't enough. Complementarianism is not enough. That doesn't go far enough to just talk about it in terms of, well, God created us differently with different roles. And this is, you know, a masculine or an office that men can hold within the church and not women and all that kind of stuff. It goes way deeper than that. Can I call it patriarchy? Is that the right term for it? What do you think? Your funeral. 
<laughs> that was Nate at Crumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate that there's guys at the Kings Hall podcast and obviously a lot of the Moscow guys who are sort of reclaiming this term. But I do. I do think it's it's patriarchy. It's the understanding that that men are made to rule. And we recently, the three of us, we read Dominic Non-Tenant's book, Spine of Scripture, which led us to read It's Good to Be a Man, which he co-authored. And the big idea of that book is really like man was made for dominion and taking dominion. So there's been several things along the way that kind of helped with this paradigm shift for me, but I feel like the ball's really only dropped more recently for me. And that is this idea that men were made for dominion, for taking dominion. Actually, one of the first, you and I were just talking about this book because you're just reading it now, Jordan. Uh, One of the first books that did this for me was Household and the War for the Cosmos by C.R. Wiley and his reclamation of Christian piety, this idea of what it means to be a pious man. Yeah. So let's talk about patriarchy. Let's talk about piety. Let's talk about uh, what it means to be reclaiming biblical masculinity, which is all about dominion. I guess it kind of goes together with what we talked about last week. So once you see the world as winnable, the question becomes, well, who wins the world? That wasn't rhetorical answer. (laughs) (laughs) Who wins the world? I thought you were mic dropping. I was like, oh, that's the episode, guys. (laughs) It was eight minutes. Great, great, great job. Already I can hear people's like warning bells kind of like chiming off. Dominion, not domination. I think the ball drop for me was when I started thinking about the like the ball drop. Yeah, it was a little bit. Anyway, because we're talking about masculinity, right? So just saying. Odd choice of phrase. I very rarely get you speechless. You know know how some people have a good turn of phrase? Yeah. Like sometimes I don't. Yeah. And that's an example where it's like, didn't say that very clearly. Um, Anyway, I I would say the, the time that it, the domino fell on the idea of like complementarianism isn't enough is the idea of like, just because I think men should take leadership in everything um, and in all spheres of life doesn't mean that I think women should be like diminished in any way. And I like, there is that natural tendency when we hear the term patriarchy to think that though. Yeah. Like, one of the great things I think is universally happening in Christianity, at least in our circles, like the the, the Moscow, the Apologias, the Liberty Coalition churches in, in Ontario, some of the churches at West, is the this idea of just like reclaiming manhood. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with subjecting women lower or anything like that. It's just simply rebuilding up the man because society has basically spent 30 years telling us we're worthless. Yeah. And it's this idea of like, no, no. Like, let's put it back as God has ordained in scripture. And just that paradigm shift in our brains of like, it's as the book says, it's good to be a man. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things you see that's happening in society is you get guys like Jordan Peterson, right? And Joe Rogan, right? These kind of alpha male types, alphas in different ways, obviously. But you get these guys who there's a whole generation of sort of fatherless men who have been discipled by the culture to believe that their masculinity is toxic and not to know what to do with their sort of aggressive impulses. And they've been discipled to diminish those urges, diminish your inclination towards dominion, submit to the feminization of the culture. And so you get the Joe Rogans and the, and the Jordan Petersons who then are tapping into something and saying like, hold on, there's all these young men full of angst and they don't know what to do with their masculinity. Let me show them what to do with their masculinity. And the reason I think these guys become so popular, I mean, Joe Rogan's podcast, I think is still number one in the world, right? 
And I think the reason for that is because you have all these fatherless men who just need a father figure in their life who tells them like, be a man, like stop just diddling around in your parents' basement, like go and make something of yourself. Jordan Peterson says, get up and make your bed and stand up straight and put your shoulders back and your chest out. They're telling them things that their fathers should have, but didn't. And so you get even the secular culture tapping into this need to reclaim masculinity. And I think that unfortunately, many of the thought leaders in the Christian evangelical sphere have been just as feminized as the culture and they have nothing to say to those men who are wondering what to do with their masculinity. They're getting the same message that the world is giving them is that your masculinity is bad, right? And and I mean, I, I imagine you guys are in this similar boat as me. Like how many times in the last couple of years have you been told that you're maybe just a little too aggressive, you're maybe just a little too assertive, right? From other Christians who are just trying to, and, and that comes down to like sort of, you know, just diminish these God-given urges rather than redirecting them to the right thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's how tone gets policed, right? Yeah, like, totally. Like, not all women do this, but, like, it's one of those things where how often is, like, like it wasn't what you said, honey, it's the way you said it to me. And it's funny, though, when we talk about, like, how many times have, have male Christian pastors said that, like, Nate, it wasn't what you said theologically, it's the way you said it. Yeah. And like, it's I like, like how you like, like tilt your head around, it's not good radio, but the way you like, you looked gay when you did that. <laughs> you just, you looked gay. So. Well, I was, was going to reach over and slap your wrist. Yeah. Like, it's like, but that's that idea of like, right, it's like, it's, it's feminization of the man where it's right. like, now it's, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it to me. You know right. I mean, it's like, and it's like, it's like, well, no, because like, what I say is what's important. You right. I mean, like, yes, we should speak gently and nicely and kindly to our wives, love them. To you and me, like, there's times where, like, like when we're all joking around, people will be like, I can't believe that's the way you speak to your friends. But like, <laughs> that's just the way guys are. You right. know what I mean? Like, and so it's just implementing that. And that's kind of a tangent. Yeah. But let's start at the beginning here. First of all, you talked about the difference between dominion and domination or dominance. I think that's an important one. It comes from the same root, but the idea here is that the, the word dominion, and, and remember that we're going all the way back to the garden with this, right? God gave Adam, placed him in the garden, and this is why this kind of goes along with post-millennialism, I think, because it's understanding man's mandate in the garden. So first kind of misconception that I think we often make is that we think that God created the world and the world was a paradise and then Adam sinned and the world kind of went to hell in a handbasket. That's not exactly the story. The story is that God created the world and it was sort of untamed chaos, right? He begins to bring order to the chaos, right? says the earth was formless and without void, right? So he creates all this stuff and then he starts to bring order to it and he separates the land from the waters and all this kind of stuff. But he plants a garden in the east, it says, right, and places man in it. And so Adam's task is to take the order that he sees in Eden and to spread it around the rest of the world. So the rest of the world is untamed wilderness, right? It's like it's the untamed wild. And Adam is supposed to look at how the plants are, are cultivated and the, the, the streams are, are, are flowing and the, you know, all this stuff. He's supposed to look at the garden that God planted and then go tame the rest of the chaos, bring the order of God's rule in the garden to the rest of creation. So his mandate to go and take dominion was to make the rest of the world look like Eden, extend God's rule to the rest of creation. And so really what that means is not going and, and dominating and, and using up all the resources. It's, it's go and, and do what God did in Eden. Plant a garden. Go cultivate. In other words, bring about the flourishing 
of the world. And so even when God gives Eve as a helpmate for that task, what he's saying is this is actually going to take more than just you. So go and make more helpers that are image bearers of me, right? You need a, a partner for that to be fruitful and multiply. And then use, you know, the offspring to go and complete this task of taking dominion of the earth. And he gave that dominion mandate prior to creation of Eve. And even actually gave Adam all of the instructions about not eating of the forbidden fruit and all this kind of stuff. So the task for dominion was to Adam's. Eve was created to help Adam with the godly task of dominion. And it was sort of like, because you need a bunch more helpers for this task of dominion, I need to give you a helpmate so that you can be outward focused on the world that you have to tame. And you have somebody who can be inward focused on the young image bearers that you're raising to take on the task as you grow. Okay, so that's the mandate. That's what it looks like. So how has this been sort of a paradigm shift for you, Jordan, in terms of what it means to be a man who takes responsibility for that mandate? For me, it really started in listening to the King's Hall podcast, which yep. everybody should go listen to that podcast. Should, yeah. uh, <clears throat> of course, um, finish this and then go. Um, but their, their slogan on that show or for their podcast is making self-ruled men rule well and win the world. Yeah. If our big, great, com- the great commission is for us to win the world, well, we're not going to be able to do that if we don't first take rule of the other smaller spheres that God has put in our life, which is, and we know in like the whole sphere of sovereignty, there's self-government, there's family government, there's church government, and then there's state. So we're not going to be able to take dominion of the outside world if first we don't start at the very beginning of ourselves. Right. And that's the thing that in all of this has been really convicting me when you think of, like I'm trying to, in my mind, think of like, who is that ideal Christian man? Well, he's one who is self-controlled, who controls his thoughts, who controls his appetite, who controls his anger, who controls his body. And those are all things that when you look at our society, well, men are completely lost in their thought, like they're watching mindless TV shows, many of whom are just completely consumed with pornography. Um, They're consumed with work, hobbies, all these things. And then so because they've, you know, we we allow ourselves to give into these things that aren't self-controlled, the opposite of self-controlled, that then has the ramifications for our family. So our families, which God has commanded husbands specifically to rule in their homes, which I realize that's kind of scary for some people to hear, but... It's not, again, like Chris said, it's not domination, but this the rule that God has in mind is one of love, of care, and the type of man that a woman would look to and say, that is my husband, I am proud of him, I respect him, yep. I want to follow where he's leading our That's family, right, yeah. and then the kids to look at their father, and it's like, wow, he loves Jesus, he loves his neighbor, and yeah, I want to be like, for sons, I want to be like dad, or for girls, yeah, I want to marry a man like, like my dad, father. Yeah. So that's kind of like that picture of a, of a godly man who is, is self-controlled in all areas of life, which then that has then fruit in your family. And then that's going to have fruit in your neighborhood because they're going to see that, wow, this family is different, right? Like Israel was a light to the nations around them in our little communities that we have. We can be a light to our families, but it also ultimately start with men who just are wanting to pursue holiness, who want to be like Jesus. So that thought has just been a a radical thing in my thinking over the last number of months, where when, when you do look at a lot of culture today, and let's even say Western evangelicalism, most parents both work. Family worship is not a thing that dads lead their families in. No. Husbands are not sitting with their wives and praying with them and, and leading them, you know, sanctifying them in the word as we're called to. Yep. Most families or most Christians have not, I think if a lot of people are being honest, have ever shared the gospel explicitly with a person. Yep. So then you start seeing the connection of this self-ruled man with post-millennial eschatology, where if the kingdom is coming through man, through God empowering 
his people, his children to go, but we're just, you know, sitting around in our underwear watching sports and eating Cheetos. Well, <laughs> we're, we're not actually going to be That's right. doing the things yeah. that are making kingdom advancement where we're not training our children to be the fire arrows that get sent out to engage the culture. We're not being a light in our communities if we're not engaging them and telling them, showing them what it means to be Christ-like. That's right. Um, so, but it all ultimately has to come down to men who are ruling their families. And, and, and that's where a thing that I was thinking about is, you know, ultimately, if God is unhappy in my home with the way my children are discipled, that comes back on me. Yeah. You know, me as the dad to my kids, I'm the one who's ultimately told to disciple my kids. That's right. My wife is there to help me and we both do that. But ultimately, if there's a failure in my home, that's on me. So because there's a greater responsibility, that then does mean there's a greater level of authority in that as well, which I know that gets people uncomfortable with thinking of patriarchy. You see that even in, in, again, going back to the garden, though Eve sinned first, Adam is the one who's called by God to take account first, right? So you can almost look at it. Satan tempts Eve. Eve sins. Eve brings her husband into sin with her. And then when God comes down, he calls them in reverse order, first to Adam and then to Eve and then to the snake that shows where the responsibility lied, that it was Adam's failure that Eve sinned in the first place, let alone led him into sin, right? And there's so many directions my mind is going right now. First thing I want to say, though, is like, I would say that the vast majority of North American evangelical churches, if you were honest and you looked at your church, it is probably a church that more or less is ruled by women, and what I mean by that, you might say, oh, no, we're a complementarian church pastor. Like, we, we don't have any women on the elders board. I would say, okay, of the men who are on the elders board, how many of them could it be said of, she wears the pants in that relationship, right? Like, and I don't mean to be crass or, or rude about it, but, but how many women are sort of ruling from the sidelines? And I think that's a byproduct of the culture. I mean, how many Homer Simpson character, like dad-like figures do we see in every show, every movie, every, everything that's, that's shown? But on top of that, I think that women, to be fair to them, it, it is a result of the fall, right? So God does say, you know, your desire will be for your husband. Yeah, speaking the same way in the next chapter about sin's desire is for you. It's to have you, it's to consume you, it's to overtake you. So Eve's desire now as a result of the fall will be to usurp the authority of her husband. So there is sin issue there. But also, I think because of the absenteeism of, of men in the church, I think churches generally operate because women step into positions of leadership. And even in complementarian churches, they might not be on the other's board. They might not be the pastors, but they're the directors of women's ministry. They're the director of children's ministry. They're the director of this. Think about most churches. Our church is family integrated, so the kids are in the service. But think about most churches. Kids come in. Nursery is generally run by women. And then they get sent off to Sunday school, which is generally taught by women. And then you get into maybe junior high ministry. Again, probably I would say predominantly women. It's not until you get to youth because we hire quote unquote youth pastors. And if they're called a pastor, it must be a guy. And then you generally get a non-self-ruled man who's not a good husband, not a good father, who's then just like connecting with the youth because he's kind of a child himself. And you're like, man, is it any wonder by the time they get to 18 and go off to university, we lose them in the faith. And so I don't want to put too much flack on women. I think they've stepped into roles simply because the men have abdicated their responsibility for those roles. So that's the one thing I want to say. And then one of the things that you said, Jordan, that I think is profound that just needs to be teased out a little bit more is this idea of men ruling is ruling from the inside out, right? So the reason the the term patriarchy or male rule, which is literally what patriarchy means, is a scary one is because most women think of the men in their lives or, or men who have hurt them in their lives, bad fathers, bad husbands, bad pastors, 
who have abused them, who have mistreated them, who haven't brought about their flourishing, they're like, there's, well, there's no way I want that man to rule over me. Well, of course, we don't want those men to rule either. And it starts because they're not self-ruled men. And there's this principle that you see in scripture, right? David was faithful in shepherding his sheep and protecting them against the bear and the lion before he ever had his public victory over David. Uh, God comes through uh, the prophet Zephaniah and he says, don't despise the days of small things, right? So the idea is if you want to be a man who takes dominion and steps into the God-given leadership that is there and available to you, you have to start with self-rule. It has to start with you ruling the sin that's in your life. And that's exactly what you see in Genesis Four, right after the fall, you get the story of Cain and Abel. And what does God say to Cain? He says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to take you, to have you, to overthrow you, but you must master it. Paul comes along in the New Testament and says the same thing to the men. He says, don't let anything master you, right? Don't let anything rule you. You rule over the sin that's inside of you. Having men who are passionate about ruling over the sin that's in their life, that's where dominion starts. And if you can't take dominion there, then you, you can't take dominion anywhere. So I think that that's a huge piece. The idea of rulership is like, again, like a lot of us just apply this in terrible ways. Before you have a right to even run a household with a, like a family and, and kids, you have to be able to run your own household in your own life, right? Yeah. So taking control of all your urges, taking control of all your desires. What it doesn't mean is that like woman does all the laundry. I come home from work. I sit down. She takes care of it. I think Jordan was talking about earlier. Like, no, it means everything that happens in the household is your responsibility. Your household's success or failure is your report card. Like we say that often about the church. The church's the society's culture, report. Yeah. Well, the culture's the report. culture is the, the church's report card. Yeah. Exactly. But like that's in the family too, right? So like if Quinn and Judah and Harper don't grow up, with a good education, with a good biblical hermeneutic, all those things, that's the failure would ultimately be your failure, yeah. not colleagues. Which is, which is why actually managing his own household well and raising believing children is a prerequisite for being an elder in a church, yeah. right? If you can't raise your own kids, then why would I entrust others to you, is what God is saying in Titus, right? Exactly. It all starts with the inward control of yourself, right? So being about, like, I think you always say the term, like, <clears throat> self-governed man, right? Like, yeah. putting aside foolishness, putting aside childishness, putting aside yeah. all those things. This um, sounds like a whole lot of Bible verses you're quoting, right? Like, yeah, this is, this is how Paul talks to men. Exactly, right? Like, it's the, it's the idea. It's not, it's not the uh, Mark Driscoll, just yell at other people until <laughs> they do what you want. It's, it's, a, it's a heart condition that needs, right. that needs to change, which the application in a house means actually the opposite of what people think. It's not toxic masculinity. It's proper masculinity. It's, it's masculinity that loves its wife that lays down its life for the family that would carry as like the piety picture of, of carrying the family, including the parents, yeah. the parents, the whole extended family out through a fiery storm with a shield blocking them, willing to defend, protect all those things. And if you're not willing to do those things, then you actually don't have a right to have a household or be in any kind of leadership at all. So much what you said, I want to respond to it. So first of all, you mentioned it's not the Driscoll sort of, so I do want to say like that masculinity that we're trying to reclaim is not the sort of like aggressive jock kind of jerk, you know, picture that we think of when we think of masculinity. At the end of the day, if I could sum up masculinity in one word and not use piety or gravitas, which I'm going to use in just a moment, <laughs> um, but not use its responsibility, right? Like what it means to be a man is to take responsibility for the world around you. 
even what leadership and headship means is that you say, we're going this way and I will bear the responsibility that my decisions have brought, right? And I think too many men do that. You, you talked about the guy who comes home from work, puts his feet up and lets his wife serve. And you're like, yeah, I understand domestic duties, all that kind of stuff. But like, really, it means you come home and if, you know, if the house isn't clean, you roll up your sleeves and you start doing that. I don't care how hard you've worked at, at, uh, at, at quote unquote work all day is like you go and you serve because all of this is your responsibility. Yeah. And that's, and that's back to the idea of like Eve was created to be the helper. That's right. Not the doer. Adam's the doer. Right. She's to assist him in, in the labor. So like use the household analogy, Adam comes home and if the, if the work isn't done, it's his job to get it done. That's right. Like Eve is there to help him accomplish the task, right? That's the right. Ta- like, so in that analogy, you have Adam comes home and you know, the dishes aren't done and the, the house isn't cleaned or whatever. And so they cook together. Maybe they, they put the kids down and then Adam helps Eve wash the dishes and, and then they sit and he disciples her and all that. And they, they talk and he asks how her day was and he engages with her. And then she starts to realize, and this is what discipleship looks like. She starts to realize how wonderful it is when the house is in order, right? And, and everything is set and it's peaceful and there's been, order has been brought to chaos. The connection that she has with Adam is wonderful and something that she craves. Therefore, perhaps the next day she gets more done so they can extend that time where they, they sit in ordered chaos and connect. I just say that to say like, even how your wife does domestic duties falls to you to disciple. And that doesn't mean telling her that that's her responsibility. It means rolling up your sleeves and doing it with her and showing her what it looks like to bring order to chaos. The two words I want to get to, I don't want us to go forever, are piety, which comes out of this book that Jordan is just reading now. Chris and I read it a while ago, Household in the War for the Cosmos, C.R. Wiley. And he kind of wants to reclaim this word piety, which is this ancient word. And it, it, it really comes down to the idea of bearing responsibility. A pious man was a man who understood his duties and his various spheres of authority. So he understood what his duty was to his nation, to his family, to his neighborhood, to his God, right? And rightly ordered his various allegiances, right? So God first, right? Family second, nation third kind of thing. And there were these various splitting up of allegiances, but he understood what his duty to each authority in his life was. And he did his duty, right? He bared his responsibility and did his duty. And then the second word that I think is worth reclaiming and talking about is is the word gravitas. Gravitas is a word we don't use a whole lot, but it obviously comes from the idea of gravity. And so there's a weightiness to being a man. And when you think about what gravity is, gravity is what pulls things in and keeps them in their proper alignment, right? And so like the moon orbits around the earth because of the earth's gravity and things are properly ordered on earth because of that. But the earth is is sucked into the sun's gravity. And so the idea of, of a man who has gravitas, and, and generally that word means like influence and power and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes in Western culture, we shy away from the idea of power, right? That's oh, that's toxic masculinity. We don't want that. No, no, no. Power is a good thing. Influence is a good thing when used rightly. So the idea of gravitas, think of a man who has things rightly ordered in his life and God is at the center of his universe, which means he's in proper orbit 
and think of him as his own solar system, right? He's a sun in a solar system that's part of the cosmos. And at the, at the center of the cosmos is God. But working its way around that are all these smaller solar systems. But I am the sun in my solar system. And my wife and my children and my, my work and all my neighborhood, these things revolve around me in such a way that there's weightiness to my responsibility in those various spheres. I have a responsibility to my neighbor. I have a responsibility to my children. I have a responsibility to my wife. And so a man with gravitas is a man whose gravity is in right orbit around God himself, but is that stable gravity that keeps everything that's in orbit around him in its proper alignment as well. I think those are two great words and pictures of, of kind of what we're talking about here. I keep talking, so get, jump in. You, you do realize you're that we'll great. continue to talk until somebody jumps in and says something. No, it just it takes a moment because there's like a, like this is one of those things that's like relatively newer in terms of like fleshing out. When we've gone through this. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So like even some of the things you're saying is just like I was thinking about the idea of like even old pagan cultures kind of understand that idea of like the sun was the center, the moon was its its assistant it's tied to the and it's like just so i was just thinking about the idea of like if the analogy of the we're the son of the of our analogy solar system of our, kind of like thing, yeah. and everything does circle and orbit around right. us but not in a bad way because we're providing all those things is if what we're, we're self-ruled exactly. right unless right. we're a son that go, like I'm, I'm gonna get into like all kinds of astrological analogies here where it's like unless the sun is supernovaing and then <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that stuff but the point is like if the sun is healthy right if it's if it's doing what it's supposed to do then everything is in proper alignment around it and quite frankly when you, even when you think about I may be pushing this analogy way too far but when you think about like even our solar system something that answers in Genesis taught me. Um, here's a shout out to Cal Smith. Did you know Jupiter deflects over a hundred life destroying meteorites every single year that would have been on a collision course with earth? Isn't that incredible? So like four Jupiters is the size of the sun. 400 earths is the size of the sun. So Jupiter is quite a bit bigger than earth. And because of its size, it has a greater orbit. And, and so it actually pulls asteroids that were on a collision course that were big enough that would they completely destroy life on earth hundred a year that it deflects, which is amazing, right? Or pulls into itself or whatever. But I just say that to say, like, when you think about the sun at the center, it's got all of these things, right? Jupiter's deflecting for Earth, right? The, the moon is controlling the tides on Earth. All of these smaller orbits rely on the center, the sun. And so I think as, as men who recognize man, that's a big responsibility. Yeah, it is. You're a son. There's a whole lot of stuff orbiting around you, your wife and your family, and not just them, but the legacy of them, right? So your responsibility over your wife is like, I don't mean to get too like, but in the loins of your wife or life, right? So you're, you're responsible not only for her, I don't care what stage each listener is at, but the life that will come from her, the life that will come from those who come from her, you know, cousins and, and nephews and nieces and all these family ties, church responsibilities, friends, all of this stuff. And it's the weak man. You want to talk about toxic masculinity? It's the man who abdicates the responsibility for all those moving pieces and says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yeah, you're your brother's keeper, bro. Like you are your brother's keeper. You're responsible in your neighborhood. You're responsible in your workplace. All of these things are places that eventually need to go underneath the feet of Christ in victory and you being a self-ruled man and doing your duty in those spheres is actually what brings about the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Man, heavy, right? I think that's a great place to like wrap this one up. Can I make an on-air suggestion? 
Please. That we bring Jordan back again next week. Okay. And we continue on the patriarchy, but then we, then we apply it because I think we applied it a lot to the family here. Yep. Let's apply it to the church next okay. week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and tick everybody off. Um, <laughs> and again, that's Nate at Crossroads. <laughs> yeah, yes. um, no, I, th- I think that's a really good point though, because primarily, like, this starts inside the man the desire for them to rule themselves, to not be mastered by anything else, but be mastered by Christ. Yep. Which means that they lead their home and lead their family primarily first and foremost in that thing teaching them how to master and like it's funny we started with the mandate in the garden what's the did god really say that it's like the failure is that adam didn't lead eve into telling her what god actually said you can even see it like because even adam add add something to that he's like because uh if we do it, we're, we'll die. Like if we even touch the tree, it's yeah. like, he never said, if you touch the tree, he said, if yeah. you'd have the, and it's like, they're, they're already changing what God has said. And so like Adam's failure is already on display yeah. of him not properly leading and shepherding. And so I think Jordan said it earlier, like a man who isn't leading his family in a spiritual sense, like making them draw closer to the Lord is failing before he's even applied this totally. into like yep. education work, all that stuff. Well, a thing that almost like a question I would have for the husbands or even like the prospective husbands is, are you a man that your wife loves the idea of following? Are you the guy who your wife would just more than have, like just gladly follow as you are following Christ? Because yeah. I think if a lot of us are being honest, many of us are a physical picture of a lack of self-control in yeah, our in our point. physical appearance and then and then you even think, you look at me there jordan <laughs> I, I intentionally did not <laughs> but it's like when you when you think of a lot of christian men like this idea of self-control really the picture of a christian man obviously assuming there aren't physical disabilities preventing it but should be a man who is strong yeah the, the glory of a young man is his strength yep so like it should be a man who now in our culture it's not agrarian there aren't most people don't work physical jobs but like the picture is a man who can physically protect his family yeah who can physically provide for his family and then what does that do even for a wife who when she looks at that man who is self-controlled who looks good yep. then that's going to be a man who takes dominion of the relationship he has with his wife and she's going to be desiring her husband yeah and then kids looking at their dad who i'm pretty sure if most kids were to look at a dad who's like arnold schwarzenegger and be like hey don't pick on me. That's my dad. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to look at that man and be like, I'm confident because I, I trust my dad. I trust. Yeah. And it's just like, so if we take that application of taking dominion of ourselves and being self-controlled in all the areas that God has told us to be self-controlled, that is going to have benefit like fruit in our families, in our marriages, with our kids and in yep. our homes generally, in our neighborhoods. But yeah, I just think that that's such a, a thing that is lacking for a lot of Christian men in the church. I remember one time, and and this is a a story of my failure, I guess. I remember one time in particular when I raised my voice, and I don't think it was at the kids. Can't remember. I think it it might have even actually been at the dog, but whatever it was, I was not self controlled in the moment, right? I I raised my voice in sort of anger, and I remember Quinn. You could see there was this sort of cower, almost like a whimper, like she didn't start fully crying, but there was this sort of, and she goes, "Dad, that was scary," and Judah says. Don't worry, Quinn, dad's only scary to bad guys. And I remember that was like a moment for me because I was like, thank you, Judah, for your grace. But that was actually a moment where I wasn't self-controlled. But like that is the attitude that you want the people in your life to have is like dad is scary, but he's scary to bad guys, right? Like he's the one who, who protects the family. He's the threat 
to the evil that would threaten our family. He's threatening, but he's threatening to chaos. He's threatening to, you know, the disorder in the world around us. He nurtures or cultivates safety and order and all that kind of stuff. So you could go on and on about that point. I think it's uh, it's one that isn't made enough. And I would just say, like, think about yourself. We are a priestly kingdom and kingdom also implies king, right? Adam was the king who is ruling in God's stead. Husbands, you are a king, right? You have a kingdom and your kingdom is subsumed in God's kingdom, but you still have a kingdom to rule over and you have a princess, right? And you have children and you have all of these things. And when you think about some of the great kings in literature, right? The King Arthur's, uh, so to speak, right? What did he have? He had men who were willing to die for him because they knew he was for them. He was the first one running into battle. He was a good king who cared for his people, provided for his people, protected his people. That's what every man is called to be within the sphere that God's placed you. That's a good way to sign off. You're kings. So so go build a kingdom. And it starts with ruling the kingdom inside. And that's a great opportunity to be like, you're kings. Act like it. And just drop it. Oh, man. All right. You want me to do that again? Yeah, do it again. You're kings. So go act like it.